This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is the Laws of Life on cliffcentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makokotlela. Welcome, Lions. Dumela, Gary, and Dumela to our podcasters. On today's show, we're talking forged signatures and fake handwriting. Hmm. And today we examine what happens when you suspect a document, or a will for that matter, to be forged. Uh, also, we're going to warn you on how to stay vigilant and be extremely careful because a forger or defrauder could be coming to rip you off. Because I'm coming, I'm coming, yes I'm coming to rip you off, I'm going to take all your money. Oh yeah. What is <laughs> there? You go, lines. Uh, fraudster crooner. It's a fraud warning song. Picked oh, it up yeah. somewhere on YouTube. Cool. Today we're joined by Terry Elmele. 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 Yeah. Yes. She's a professional handwriting analyst and forensic document examiner. I may have it slightly off, but you'll explain it in more detail. A big warm welcome to you, Terry. Thank you very much. Terry's been in more courtrooms than I have. Not quite. Okay. Today we're dividing our show into two parts. Uh, first up, we discuss the courtroom and forensic handwriting examination and how, to, how one goes about proving a forged will and a fraudulent document and how our courts view forensic expert evidence of handwriting professionals. Very, very interesting. There was a decided case that came out about 10 days ago, and that's what got me going on this one. Um, later in the show, on a lighter note, we discussed handwriting analysis and personality profiling for marriages and job compatibility. Interesting one. Should you analyze your partner's handwriting before you get involved in a relationship or marry them for that matter? And what should you identify if you see something in their handwriting on, uh, from a job applicant? We're going to speak to Terry on that one as well. And later, we have a celebrity chef with us in studio. I'm not going to give her name away now. She is very special. We'll talk to her later. We're going to be taking some questions from our collaborative partner, Legal Talk South Africa, who have over 130,000. I don't know the exact amount, but it grows every day. Uh, members on their Facebook page, 130,000 or so. Our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. And Lions, you want to give the Twitter handle? At Hertzlaw, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. Please do like our Facebook page and do recommend any topics that you would like us to talk about. And if you really want to follow us, uh, you can do so on those platforms. Okay, let's talk to Terry. Terry, how do you pronounce your name? It's Elmaleh. Terry Elmaleh, yes. What is that? Um, Israeli. Oh, okay. Good. Tov. Okay, okay. You speak <laughs> I do, yes. Okay. Let's do the show in Hebrew. I need no, not quite. <laughs> so Terry I'm going. Uh, yeah. 
I can hear your accent's not great. Anyway, uh, now uh, I want to discuss with you the legal framework. Uh, very basically, if somebody wants to check that a handwriting or signature is genuine or not, if it's forged or an original or altered, they'd approach someone like you. And I know you kind of people are giving lawyers advice. We employ people like yourself to to help us to determine whether a will or document is forged or not. Just give us a brief uh, – there are not many of you, and the question, there are two questions. Why are there so few of you, and what training and studying have you done? Okay. Thank you. Um, the training and the studying is rigorous. It should be rigorous because we're dealing with human behavior. There are few of us because it's quite difficult to dis- to see whether a signature is authentic or not on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's quite easy to see whether it is a forgery. The reasons for this is that handwriting is actually brain writing. It's a misnomer. Some people write with their hands. Some people write with their feet if they are forced to. That we write with our hands is because it's, it's just a useful tool. The, um, the handwriting is formed from a motor program that we learned very early on in life. It takes time for it to to set into our brains and it becomes a habit of writing. Once this habit is has ingrained into your brain, it's very difficult to deny these when you're writing. So if somebody's trying to forge a signature, they have to do two things. They have to first of all ignore their motor program and secondly take on yours. Mm-hmm. And that's basically one of the pillars of forensic handwriting examination. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. The other two is that um, the other two pillars of, of handwriting examination is that you can't write better or worse than you write. The skill that you are used to writing with remains. And the third thing is that we have something called natural variation, which is the problem of forensic handwriting examiners. I'm sure you've noticed your your signature never looks the same. Mm-hmm. There's always some variation. So we have to tell the difference between natural variation, which is the, the mo- which is a hallmark of, na- of, ha- of natural handwriting, and the differences and, and similarities in, in handwriting. Tia, what kind of cases are brought to you? I, I've seen somewhere that, I mean, wills are a common issue, aren't they? People yes. are claiming that the will has been forged, wasn't their signature. Is that it? I mean, that's a tough one because there are millions and millions involved very often in these. Yes, there can be. And it's very yeah. often about the expectations of a family. When those expectations mm. aren't met, then everyone goes into overdrive and, and, and then they want to check the signatures. Yeah. Uh, so basically what happens is I go and I examine that original signature at the master's office, wherever that may be. And I've been to some interesting one-horse towns on that, on that subject. Mm. Um, Sorry, do you have to see the original? Uh, yes. The Examiners can look at um, photocopies, but um, photocopies preclude an outright 100% decision, unless there are other uh, um, uh, sorry uh, conclusions, unless there are other extenuating circumstances. But one should always look at the original because the line quality and sing- and things like the the pressure pattern and that type of thing are are able to be seen in originals and not in photocopies. I know there are a lot of skeptics out there. They say, is the methodology methodology you use scientific, reliable, and and, and valid? And I welcome that question, and it should be asked. One is trying matters of the law, and and the judges are making decisions on our expert opinion. So um, the methodology is scientific, 
uh, there's a process that we go through. There's a methodology that we go through in order to achieve our um, to, to to facilitate the, the research of the study. We examine, we analyze, and we compare. Yes. But it is an applied science rather than an exact science. And that leaves the room for charlatans, that leaves the room for, for differences of opinion. Mm. Because even though one has a, a, a set rules and set principles to go by, one has to, in a, certain, in a certain sense, assess the information that is before you. When you examine, say, a will, you've got to, you look at the will and then do you compare it against the signature of that's been provided to you by the, the person that you're comparing it against or whatever? Okay, so the validity and the reliability of your study yeah. is very much linked into what your comparison samples are, are all about. Mm. If you're comparing samples that are 10 years old, well, then the reliability and validity of your study is, is lessened. So, so samples are extremely important. They should be authentic sample, comparison samples. They should be contemporaneous, which means that they should be within the same time period. They should be similar in purpose and style, and they should be legible at least. Yeah. So um, aside from wills, what else is brought to you kind of people? What do you look at? Okay. Unfortunately, in South Africa, we have a um, um, a subculture of um, of forgery that that brings us a lot of work. Yeah. So, for example, petrol slips are a big business. Um, a lot of I, I often get petrol slip cases where it's been where company has companies have cards for petrol, and it hasn't been swiped by the person who is authorized to swipe the card. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yes, and um, you know they. Sorry, so who's carrying the card? An employee, employee A. An employee has and, a card. And who's using it? A garage attendant. Oh, really? Yes. Wow! Wow! Yeah. So one's got to be very careful. Uh, when I sign a slip at the garage, I shouldn't say this on air, but I, I just, I give a scribble kind of thing. I don't really give my full signature. Should I or shouldn't I? Uh, well, you should give your full signature, but I could still be able to authenticate the scribble. There's still enough as, information as, on the scribble. Is that right? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Where uh, else? Okay. Then the other interesting thing is that people resign from their jobs. Mm. People make, have settlements. They agree to settlements. The money, is in the bank account, and then afterwards they say, I never signed that. And wow. then we have CCMA cases and arbitrary and bargaining council cases um, where I'm called in to verify that the signature was, in actual fact, the person who received the settlement amount. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, even if you have a witness to that signature, it's not necessarily agreed upon that it was that person who signed. Yeah. Lines, I know you've been active in... Handwriting stuff. Where do where do you fit into this work? Well, I just happen to have been advised to actually use the similar services where somebody did a copy and paste of my signature on a document, a legal document that I had no knowledge of, and tried to use that to simply say that I actually had agreed. But what the results when it came out, it was actually copy and paste using a a computer because the lawyer actually requested the original of the signed document. Which were not actually given It doesn't exist probably It doesn't yeah. And later on when they actually checked the very same signatures It was actually uh, like the initials of the um, the documents They were 
fitting. And they were saying it's highly impossible that your signature can always be 100% fitting in everything. So what the person did was just copy and paste, just change the directions of the signature. Can you see what they did there, Terry? Can you? Yes, yes. Yeah. Is um, this also common? Yeah. Absolutely. You want to comment on that one? Yeah. Yes. The, the extent to which somebody to go, can go with a computer program that's available, with all of the different graphics programs that are available, is unlimited. Mm. But they are telltale signs. Um, for example, the cutting and the pasting of a signature, if it's cut and paste clean, but there are no other little bits and pieces of the signature maybe that was that collided with it, which is a case that I'm busy with at the moment, then you'd maybe get away with it. But there's usually something that, there, you know, there's the Lockhart principle. Once human beings touch something, they leave a trace. There's normally a trace. The... Placement of a signature on a guiding line, for example, is unconscious and inconspicuous. You wouldn't necessarily pay attention to that as a graphic designer or as, as a forger. But as a forensic handwriting examiner, these are things that we look out for. Where exactly, what are the, the habits of the person when they place the signature on the line? And where was this signature placed? What are the angles? How far before the the, uh, the guiding land signature signature starts and where does it end? Yes, is it easier to find a forgery than 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 an than an authentic signature? Which one's easier? Or is it a silly question? If it's a bad forgery, then it's yeah. very easy. Yes. If it's a good forgery, then it would it would take as much skill as to find an authentic signature, and the reason is because of of natural variation. Because one there has to be some sort of a change, as Lionel just just spoke on. It's not. In fact, if the signature is exactly the same, that's the first red flag. Yes. It's impossible for it yeah. to be exactly the same. Ted, we've both looked. I referred you to a, a decided case that was heard in the Johannesburg High Court two weeks ago. Yes. It's called Twine versus Sharon Naidu, Twine and Another. And uh, let me just give a bit of the facts here. There was a man called John Charles Twine. He's the deceased. He died. He passed away at the age of 85. Uh, just uh, prior to that, he'd been in a romantic relationship with Sharon Naidu, who was 38 years his junior, which is something. Mm-hmm. He left behind his two daughters, and the case then concerned the validity of two wills. In the first will, which he executed about three years before his death, most of his estate he left to his two daughters. The second will that came up, the most of the money was left to his paramour, his lady friend. And uh, handwriting experts were called in by both sides to determine whether he had indeed signed the second will. If he hadn't signed the second will, then the first would apply because it would have been a forgery and uh, he would have, the, the, the daughters would have inherited the money. So this case went to court. Um, the judge here, I, I, you've read it. Maybe you I can have. just take us through the handwriting aspect because a lot of what happened in court was uh, the handwriting testimony. Yes, I haven't seen the actual reports of the mm. two experts, so I am not going to comment on on the actual evidence that was given. But what I can say is that, is, is to repeat what I said earlier, the authenticity of, of your comparison documents is key. Mm. One has to, the, the, um, the research and the study that you do has to be valid and reliable. Otherwise, it's not worth anything. Yes. 
Um, and as I understand it, that was what the judge was commenting on. I think the judge felt that he couldn't rely on both of these people. One was, I, don't, I, you know, I may have it a bit wrong, we just got to be careful, but I don't think he relied on the expert evidence because I don't think they had the, the, the expert part of it before the court, and I think that's... Yeah, so that I, a, yeah. I wouldn't like to comment on that, but what I can say is that I, I um, celebrate any effort in the judicial system to mm. raise the bar for expert witnesses. Yes. These are serious matters, and the people giving evidence have to be qualified to do so. Um, on the... On the um, on the matter of, of reliability and, and uh, validity of documents, I want to tell you just a, a little, there's a story which is quite um, fame, um, notorious in the forensics world. It goes like this. There was a drunkard who was searching for a key under a street lamp in an area significantly, significantly away from where he had dropped a key. When he was questioned as to why he was looking for the key in the area where he had dropped it, he replied, why it's much lighter here, of course. Yes. <laughs> There you go. I think in this very case, Terry, the judge felt that the two handwriting experts had divergent approaches and he couldn't quite determine which one he should rely on. So he relied on other evidence. The bottom line of this case is that uh, the court found the 2014 will, which was the later one, to be invalid and null and void. And uh, the two daughters then inherited under the first will. For our many, many lawyers listening and people who love law, this is a great case. Have a look at it and you'll really enjoy it. The judge goes into a lot of detail on what expert testimony evidence is. And he kind of he refers to people like yourself and how we rely on them all the time and when we don't. So the case is Twine, T-W-I-N-E versus Sharon Naidu. It, just Google it and put in Twine versus Naidu. And it was heard in the Johannesburg High Court. The judgment came out in October. Interesting, isn't interesting. it? Inter- very interesting. Please case. have a look at that case. Mm. Yeah, I think it's going to set a precedent, um, and um, you know we need to be as, as good as our as our skills and our expertise and our methodology. I just want to take one. I haven't uh, discussed this with you. You may not know the answer. It comes from Legal Talk South Africa. One of their members, the hundred thirty three thousand members. She says, "I need some advice. Um, my aunt forged my father's will." And me and my siblings, she says, managed to open a case of a fraudulent will at the Pretoria Central Police Station. And we managed to get a handwriting expert who proved the will was forged. Well, prove is the wrong word. But in any case, no one's been arrested till now, she says. What should she do? What happens with this? I mean, have you been involved where you actually go to the police, you show them your report, you say, look, on the face of it, there appears to be a forgery here. Prosecute this person. I mean, have them arrested. Yeah, so I that happens. Um, I write a report, and then after after that, the my client does whatever is necessary. Or my client is either a private individual or an attorney. Yeah. It's not on me to go to a police station. Yeah, um, but your report would be very crucial in getting the police to to maybe prosecute. Correct. Yeah. Yes, my report has been used in criminal cases. Yeah, before I let you go on the heavy stuff, on the court stuff, mm. anything you want to add? Because we're going to move on now and deal with the the light part of handwriting analysis. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to comment on the um, on the on the issue of of expert witnesses um, on the, in this court, in this court case. I I see it as a conundrum because on the one hand we are we are needed 
in the court. But on the other hand, there isn't as much respect as, for example, uh, if a medical doctor had had to be standing up in front of a court of law. And this needs to change. And it needs to change because we need to regulate the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I don't think we could proceed to try and declare will invalid unless we had your kind of evidence, Mm -hmm. expert evidence. So you're an essential... Um, if you, if you, I mean, if it's if it's good evidence, the courts will listen to you. They're not obliged to, no, but they, uh, they will take take your evidence into account. Yes, and if there are two saying yeah. two different things, that's a, a problem. Excellent, Tia. We're going to move on now, and we're going to discuss uh, something on a lighter note, and it's called handwriting analysis and personality profiling, <laughs> and. Uh, before, as I said earlier, if before we get married or before we take in a new uh, job applicant, maybe we should send you their handwriting and say, please have a look at that. So we have a very special guest in studio today. Uh, she's best known for her designer heels and signature curry dishes. She carries the title The Curry Queen of Bling or The Curry Ninja. Her Facebook posts <laughs> only get loved 15,000 times. In Derbs, she's more popular than the Sharks. Come on, Derbs. And uh, then most importantly, she's known as a warrior mom. It's no one other than the celebrity chef, Yudika Sujanani. Welcome to you, Yudika. Thank you very much for having me again, Gary. Yeah. Line, you're messing with the controls. I don't know what, uh, I hope it's all coming through. Okay, are we on? Otherwise, we're going to. Yeah, now we're on. Have we been on all the time? Yeah, mm. I'm sure we were, otherwise, I would have known. Good stuff. Okay, so uh, welcome to you, Yurika. Thank you. I, I mean, I have to ask you one thing. You're known as a warrior mom, not a worrying mom, a warrior mom. And you have your little boy in studio today, <laughs> and he's waving at us. What age is he? He's 13. Okay. What's your mom like? Come forward quickly. We'll give you a, a moment of, of fame here on Cliff Central. What's your name? My name's Rochelle. Yeah. Is your mom a worrying mom or a warrior mom? A warrior mom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's ever been asked that. A warrior. Do you know what a warrior mom is? A strong woman, yeah, who cares for herself and her children. Is that what she is? Yeah. No rugby. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no rugby. <laughs> Did you say Indian Indian uh, parents don't let their children play rugby? I think I, I wouldn't. You did I say did that. Say, yeah, I did say and that. And you know you're a bit wrong because uh, there's a guy who plays for the Springboks. Um, <laughs> I can't okay. Remember. I'll get it. I'll get it before. I'm a real Indian mom. I have one son. <laughs> She's a warrior mom. Okay, guys, roughly half, if not more than marriages, unfortunately end in divorce. And uh, can we just... Uh, Give us some really good tips that we can use to look at the handwriting if we did it ourselves or the signature of our bo- boyfriend or girlfriend to try and get a better idea of their character. Can you imagine? Uh, before we get too involved, or maybe we can check the marriage compatibility. Terry, can you help us on that one? Well, I um, unfortunately can't give you some pointers over the radio but um, because it's, 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 it's quite complicated. Um, but it's not a bad idea to have your partner, your, your potential partner or your partner's handwriting had a look at. Um, there's no perfect individual out there, but there are certain definite danger signs that one can see in handwriting. Can you tell if someone's an absolute psychopath, a liar and a cheat? I'm afraid so. Really? Wow. Yes. <laughs> and handwriting analysis is, is very intrusive. One can see, for example, violent behavior, alcohol abuse. 
physical, the potential for alcohol abuse, the potential for physical abuse, um, lack of integrity. Hold on on that, Terry. Mm. I want to employ someone as a bank teller. Can you tell me whether he lacks integrity or honesty? I can. Really? I on, can. His, on his signature yes. or on, on something he's got to write down? Yeah. Um, the issue of signature is the signature is your public persona. Your mm. handwriting is your personal your personal persona. Yeah. There is great debate amongst handwriting analysts as to which is the real you. Is it your signature or is it your handwriting? Mm-hmm. The important thing is, is that one a handwriting analyst must look at both in order to assess who this person actually is, who this person is put, how this person is put together. Mm-hmm. I also have to put in a disclaimer in that one cannot only look at whether the person is the writing is uh, lacks integrity or not. You have to look at the whole personality. You have to look at it as a holistic um, entity. Otherwise, you'll come to the wrong conclusions. What do you mean by that? If I give you, if I give you some of their writing and I say, I want to employ this guy, check him out for me. Is that, is that sufficient? Well, let me ask you this. We got Yudika, unbeknown <laughs> to her, to write a whole lot of stuff which we've sent on to you, or she sent it on, so she knew that there was something... That was happening. Would you use the same kind of stuff if I asked you to check someone out for me? Yes, I would. But I would also check out the the job um, description, and I would I would have a look at the traits and, and personalities that I'm that I'm personality characteristics that I'm seeing, and I'd put it together with everything else that I didn't ask. Yulika. Okay, so let's talk about Yulika now. She okay. sent you something. Tell us what sample she sent you. And uh, what you did. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be very interesting. Okay, so uh, the disclaimer that I'm going to put in front of all of this is that what I'm going to tell you is very brief. I didn't go into a very deep analysis of you, of yours. Um, I also didn't look you up on the internet. So if there are things that, that seem, may seem obvious to other people, it's, it's not because I looked, at, looked you up on the internet or because I know you, it's because I looked at your handwriting. Okay. The two of you haven't met before today? No. Before the studio? No, we haven't met. Okay. So I listened with interest when you commented about the warrior mom. Yeah. Well, first of all, sorry, Terry, what did she send you? Okay, so she sent me 20 lines of her handwriting. And she sent it to me, um, she scanned it to me, and that was it. Did you ask for specific wording or did she just write whatever, whatever was on her mind? No, she wrote whatever she wanted because mm. I need to get into the unconscious mind. If you copy something, then one sees different things. So it was just, it was just a spontaneous 20 lines that she wrote. Do you want, do you want to read it out or is it, is it incidental? I think it's, yeah, I think it's incidental. Okay. Yeah, it could have been anything. Okay. Okay. Um, it's worrying me also, Gary. I have to just comment on what you said about integrity. People are socially dishonest people are physically dishonest so one would have to tell that that sort of difference in a handwriting and that was why you'd have to look at it holistically i understand yeah absolutely all right so warrior mom yes i have written here without having met you readiness to take charge willingness to accept responsibility can can we take a picture of this and tweet it out lines no, yeah. you can't take it of my handwriting, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> it's too... <laughs> I know what yeah, could be we'll made of this. We'll get someone else to analyze. <laughs> okay, let's go. So, willingness, readiness to take charge, willingness to accept responsibility, and confidence with a sense of purpose. You are a motivator of others. You are highly courageous. Yes, nat- she is. A natural leader. 
And that would translate into this taking charge. And it's not in the sense of a leadership position in a corporate, because you're not a corporate person, but it's in the sense of... (laughs) Of taking charge instead of watching others fumbling around. You can't bear it. No, I can't. <laughs> right. Okay. There's a heightened, um, you have heightened senses. You, and you operate. Your whole life is through those senses. You understand what feels good. You understand what tastes good. What looks good, ambiance. We're well, not going to find you at McDonald's. <laughs> we might find you at Le Canard. <laughs> And you also understand the value of things, yeah. um, the, the material value of things. Sure. Tenacious, loyal, a wonderful friend, and quite dynamic. I it's hope. Make me blush. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think you're a bit tearful because it's, it's all true. I tell you, Yurika. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, you. Al, there's lots to say. Um, I hope you're not going to be upset with me about this one, but it's it's for the dramatic effect. There's a very close relationship with your mom. Mm-hmm. And quite an absent relationship with your father. Correct. Okay. Um, um, but you have very strong family ties, mm-hmm. no matter what. I just need to put my glasses on to read my own writing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. Okay. Um, you set very high standards for yourself. Get closer to them. Yeah. And these high standards have become a way of life for you. There is lots of perfectionist in you. But it's not a perfectionist that restricts you. It's a perfectionism that works, that works for you. Your sense of self-worth, self-esteem are associated with approval, recognition, and admiration and happiness of others. This is a very big thing about you. You need to give love more than you receive it. Yes, (laughs) that's true. It's a bit crazy, but maybe I should work on that. (laughs) Okay. This isn't meant as a criticism, by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're very deliberate about your boundaries with other people. They need to keep their space and you need to keep your space. That doesn't mean you're not friendly, but there's a different line. (laughs) (laughs) That is so crazy. (laughs) I really am the person who throws a dinner party and I'm like, at the end of it, okay, I've had enough now. (laughs) All of you need to go home. (laughs) I can't. I just I'm not going to your dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> now we know. Okay, you have no problem with the limelight. Um, no problem with drama. It's part of your existence. But then there's this loner and private person about you mm. as well. Um, you were well brought up in a sense of manners and poise. You're a lady. Okay. <laughs> you are in love with love. And there's a romantic side to you and a sentimental side to you that your partner would have to know about. <laughs> I think I'm in denial about that. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this quite frightening to hear all this? Because um, Terry's reading it. It's not made up as we sit. I it's know. Like, she's, yeah. written, she's made all the notes. I'm just, yeah. wow. This is quite uh, yeah. the The funny part about what Terry's saying is that some of it I've been aware of for a while mm. and... I've been trying to work on, on some of the things I don't like about myself, and she's mentioning it, which is quite crazy. Okay. Okay. And then I th- um, there's, there's the other thing I have to say about you is that you're, very, you're perceived as a fair person, and you're perceived as a person to get advice from, um, that you're contained and calm, and that is absolutely not true. <laughs> no, no, no. But a lot of yeah, but a lot of people see you as as that. They look up to you. 
Yeah, I, th- I think I try not to give emotional advice. I try to be sensible and grown up. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always work, yes. <laughs> yes. I have actually written here that you have repressed your fears and anxieties as much. Terry, Yurika is re- very outspoken about the scourge of violence and rape of our women in this country. And uh, we know that the South African Medical Research Council has tracked about 4,000 rape cases that were reported nationally at about 200 police stations. Yet... Uh, um, the, the yet-to-be-released report indicates that a rape victim has less than one in ten chances of seeing their rapist convicted. And uh, I know that you are campaigning for this to change, Yurika. Mm-hmm. What message can you give to the fragile woman out there that could be in danger of this? I, th- I think that the, the scariest part about uh, about rape and um, violence against women is that we we raised to actually believe that it. It's somebody who's on the street, it's a stranger, it's a gardener, it's a car guard, it's a person who's going to follow you home. Mm. But what we're actually not accepting and, and facing up to is the fact that women are suffering every day and it's, it's your partner. It's not, a, it's not a stranger. And that perception of needs to change because I've been quiet about it for a long while and then I thought I'm actually going to talk about this because it's, it's actually at times it's it's broken me and it's it's changed who I am as a person and it's taken me a whole lot of time and to try to get back on a road to healing it's been a journey but i don't think that that process or you can start that journey unless you can actually be honest and say this is what happened to me with with the stats on on rape cases and intimate mm. partner violence if you said to me would you go to a police station and report it after what I've been through, you'd think I, twice. You'd I wouldn't think do it. Times. You wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it because it's it's the most embarrassing, awkward. Um, but it's not taken seriously. I was told by a, a police officer that it's it's your husband <laughs> or it's your partner. So, so, so what then? Um, We've got great laws in this country. We have Domestic Violence Act. We have sexual, all our great laws. We just need to get them activated. There are great laws, but they're just not being enforced. And the people who are who the crimes are being reported to don't exactly take them very seriously. But there's also, you know, Gary, there's a lot that goes on that makes things disappear in our legal system. And that's the real problem. Mm. A lot of women are not coming forward because there is no protection from it. I've at times actually openly said, nobody can help me. And I'm, I'm, I've been down the road. I've, I've been fighting all the fights. I don't think that people actually know what you're going through. I don't, I don't know whether that now is appropriate for you to mention it or mm-hmm. whether you'd want to or not. Yeah, I've, I've just uh, been in a very abusive relationship and I've had my kids exposed to that abusive relationship and things have gone horribly wrong because the abuse didn't stop with me. It, it, it actually filtered down to my kids and I struggle with that because there's a lot of self-blame. But you believe when I started speaking out and when I had evidence come up, I just thought this is what happened and there's a law. Mm. There is the law and I'm going to put my faith in that. It doesn't work like that. I feel very um, 
it's ridiculous if, if uh, I can discuss it with you at some point. But mm. uh, the things that go on and the things that are said, the prosecution and the way Randberg Court operates, it's, a, it's like a bucket shop, actually. It's just you can't get anywhere. So to the women out there, I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but we're in a lot of trouble, and not for this generation. But we are breeding a generation of abused people. It's tragic that. It's, it's not about us. Yeah. We're adults. We'll yeah. find a way. We'll cope. But in the next generation, in the next 10 years, in the next 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, mm. we're going to actually be sitting with a huge problem when we realize our kids, our nieces, nephews, um, the children that are growing now are going to grow into abused people. And... I look around now and I, I've always wondered when I was a kid, I wonder why this adult is so crazy and they're so, I mean, I don't know how their brain's wired. Mm. And only when I've gone through my own experiences, I realized that there's some kind of abuse that's taken pa place that's caused them to, it's almost like your character unravels. And you don't even know who you are. So I think we've got big problems because this is not just problems in a home. You'll have these problems in marriages, in the workplace. You're going to have problems. Or, I mean, I've experienced that. Mm -hmm. uh, some days I just didn't know what made me tick and what upset me. It could be anything. It could be a color. It could be the smell of alcohol. It could be the way a room felt when I walked in. And then you're freaking out and you don't know why. And people just think, oh, she's being a drama queen. You're hurting at the moment. And, and I, I, think, yeah, I yeah. think we understand why. And it may not be coming across, mm. but I think your daughter is is in jeopardy, and it's it's affecting you and upsetting you terribly. And yes, I think yeah. as a mom, you'd always want to know that if you were facing some kind of violent situation, you'd want to know that your kids you'd face it, knowing that your kids were protected. Mm. I can't say the same. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. the difficulty for me. You said something when you were in a lighter mode uh, that I read. You said that I'm a single parent for years. I've been a single mom, and uh, you're still single. You're beautiful. <laughs> it should be a cure of men at your door, including me. Uh, providing and stabilizing children, you said, should be taken seriously, but we shouldn't neglect ourselves. I've decided to pay more attention to my health, get fit, and eat well. To the single moms and dads out there, of which I'm one, let's try and live better so we can stick around longer. Our kids are going to need us for a while longer. Lovely. You said that. True that. Yeah. that? Yeah, I did write that because yeah. uh, I think about these kids and, you know, without us to still try to protect them, um, we have to try to stick around. And sometimes we, I'm the queen of the all night working situation. I probably work a minimum 80 hour week. Um, but I do it for my kids, you know, at the end of the day. But at the same time, I want to stick around. Maybe I want to be a granny. I don't know. You will be. No, well, I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> we you, have these discussions all the time. Unica teaches everyone in the art of treasured Indian cooking. If you want to yes. learn how to make the best Indian food in the whole world, don't go to <laughs> India. Come to Four Ways. Yeah. Um, I think you've got something. This is a podcast. So you've got something coming up, and we, I'm not punting for you because we're not allowed to really. But the Holy Cow, yes. H O L I, is your business. Yes. And that's where you provide the most yummy, delicious foods in Africa. 
<laughs> well, I believe so. I'm trying hard to get there. Um, it's a, a lovely little place. And, uh, and if you want cakes and, and sweet things. It's crazy. Yeah, oh, we're a curry shop. Where's our cake you didn't bring to? I didn't bring cake today, but I will. I will. Okay, it's been a lovely show. Um, it got a little sad, but it's fine. It's fine to talk about things that are no, I'm absolutely fine with cool. speaking about these yeah. things. I think we need to. The more you speak about it, the more something will hopefully be done about it. To our lovely guest today, she was forthright and open about you. Uh, it was pretty accurate. I know, I'm a bit were. surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Very surprised. Yeah, well Thank done, you. Terry. Uh, I know a little of Yudika, and uh, I think you hit the mark on the button, as they say. Thank you. I've yeah. got some things, if you don't mind, to stay a little bit after. I'd like to tell you about them. I'd want to air it on, on I'd want to say it on air. Absolutely. <laughs> Terry, I have your website, uh, but maybe you can give it out if people want to get hold of you. Thank you. It's uh, www.handwritinganalyst, that's Y-S-T at the end, .co.za, or give me a call on 082-556-7121. So you do both the legal stuff for the lawyers and for the courts, and then you do handwriting analysis. I do, I do. If people want to scoop out someone and they don't know why they need some evidence, you'll <laughs> tell them, listen, this guy's bad, get rid of him. <laughs> Well, and it's it's interesting for state of mind. Sometimes it's very important in a legal case to understand the state of mind. Yeah, Lange, you pr- you showed the court that uh, you were someone was. It's still ongoing. Still ongoing. Yeah. Good luck to you on that one. Thank you. I need a lawyer. You're nearly there, Lance. No, I thought you were going to say you'll do it for me pro bono. Uh, well, we work together. We've got together. a handwriting. Uh, <laughs> Expert, yes. Yeah, so no, we've got the report. Everything is in order. I just need you to represent me. We'll take them online. Uh, to our wonderful listeners for listening to this, thank you so much. It's been a great show. Yudika Sujanani is our very special guest. Sorry, that TV program on the Sunday, is it off or on? Or? I've, I'm taking a break, actually, okay. from TV. I'm loving it. Oh, good. Can you see my gray hair? No. I'm loving I, it. <laughs> <laughs> is that, did not you put color on? Or? No. Yeah. <laughs> Going natural. Okay, good. And to your little boy who's sitting playing with his cell phone, which is what kids do, thanks for being here, young man. Thank you very much for this to Palessa the Flower. Palessa. Yeah, our controller. Many thanks. Cheers till next time. Thank you. This is CliffCentral.com. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is the Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makokotlela. Welcome, Lions. Jumela Gary and Jumela Podcasters, and thank you very much for having me. Lions, today we have a further show in a series in which we aim to increase awareness of the role and responsibilities of the Attorney's Fidelity Fund. Interesting. Who yeah. are they? Well, there you go. When you use the services of an attorney, you have the right to do so with trust and goodwill. I mean, we all know that. You're doing your articles with a, with a firm of attorneys. Uh, you want to know that the uh, person you're dealing with is not going to run off with your money. True that. The question is, what happens if the attorney you trust steals your money, which he holds in trust uh, in his trust account? Um, in that case, it's the attorney's fidelity fund that will protect you against the loss and help you recover what's been taken from you. Wow. In studio today, we have Jan de Beer, who's the risk management executive of the Attorney's Fidelity Fund. A big welcome to you. You've been with us before. Many thanks, Jan. Thank you, Gary. Jan, today we're going to be talking about risk management. 
Yes, um, mm-hmm. it is. It is quite a broad uh, subject. Um, it's got different angles to it as well, um, in terms of risk management within within the fund itself. Yes. But also very much uh, concern from the fund side is the extent of risks being managed within an attorney's practice. Yes. Uh, because that's got a direct impact on on how we perceive certain risks within within the fund itself, in terms of where. Um, specifically theft risks originate but also in terms of uh, the attorney's insurance indemnity fund of course where there are any risks of uh, negligence arising out of an attorney's practice which will then of course negatively impact um, us uh, as such. There There are many attorneys that listen to this program candidate attorneys, legal students this is very important to them that they know exactly how to manage the risk so maybe take us through Jan um, let me take question uh, one is really what is risk why why is risk management so important well if if one looks at in terms of risk management um, in in view of an attorney's practice um, there is currently a a an extent of compliance relating to to risk management as it relates to the accounting rules uh, for the profession mm-hmm. uh, where there is a specific requirement placed on an attorney to really develop and implement and maintain uh, internal controls in respect of the risks that they've identified in their practices. Um, and and behind that, considering the, the approach from a rule point of view, is very much ensuring that if there are any any risks that or anything that poses a risk to the practitioner but also to their clients that there is a responsibility on that practitioner to make sure that that risk is mitigated to the extent that it's practical to do that um, that that would then make sure that um, both the practitioner um, their staff the professional staff and also the client to a large extent remains protected if 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 in that practice uh, everybody is vigilant in respect of how they, they, they manage risk um, in, in those specific environments. Jan, give us some examples of what attorneys should be vigilant uh, with and uh, what we should take note of. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is wide. Uh, our focus, of course, specifically relates to the specific environment of an attorney's trust account. Mm. So all your financial controls in terms of how you're receiving money and also specifically how you actually discharge money, how you pay it out mm. and the checks and balances that are required in terms of how you actually affect those payments becomes critical. We see numerous instances, for example, where uh, monies unfortunately ends up in, in, in incorrect bank accounts, uh, whether they've been subjected to, to a fraud or a scam um, or whether it's pure theft uh, even by, by staff members of, of the practitioner. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the necessary controls and awareness from a risk point of view, and, and making sure that those controls are properly implemented and they're working properly goes a long way in terms of mitigating those those risks. Um, and by by doing that, you also then go and make sure that your client is then appropriately protected as well because you make sure that you actually do the right thing consistently. Um, in 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 that, the, a lot of the rules relate specifically in terms of extent of minimum controls from an accounting point of view that you would like to see in a uh, attorney's practice, but it's not necessarily comprehensive. Yes. There's a lot more things that uh, a practitioner can do to make sure that they that they protect it. The rules are only there to really 
set a, 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 a regulatory guideline in terms of um, from a compliance point of view and, and really sets the minimum hurdle or the lowest hurdle um, to ensure that, that, that things are running correctly within that practice as such. There, Jan, there are many attorneys that leave the running of the practice to their staff. Um, I, I know that uh, we've had cases of attorneys who who've had money taken out of the trust account by conveyancing members and accountants and bookkeepers. That's one of the things, one of the risks that uh, they've got to consider very carefully. Absolutely, and 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 uh, the, the important thing is is that even though they do trust the running of those uh, practices or making sure that those processes and procedures are executed and it resides with with, with with staff members, it still remains the responsibility of the practitioner. They cannot walk away from that responsibility, and that's why how they need to manage that risk becomes important because then you start talking about. This person that I've entrusted this responsibility to, um, are they actually equipped to do that? Have they got the skills to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, have you performed the correct checks and balances or the background checks when you actually employ this person? Um, and even to, to the extent that we, we see in a lot of instances where um, a lot of those key staff, for example, would not go on leave uh, or don't want to go on leave. Yeah. And immediately those are basic warning signs that tells you that there might be something untoward. Um, but then again, you find that those practitioners are so reliant on those staff to make sure that their offices are running on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Um, and they don't necessarily have the luxury of bringing in additional resources or ability to, to pay for that as well. Um, that, that makes that the risk environment even, even worse. Uh, for that practitioner and they should be aware of that which means that they need to be paying much more attention to the detail of the transactions that are occurring and that is actually in in fact happening correctly Um, so it, 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 it makes it more onerous for that practitioner but it's more important for them to actually be involved in all of those decisions rather than just to leave it to your, to your staff members because you are carrying the responsibility. Mm-hmm. What about training for attorneys? Is there risk management training that's offered? As part of the, the um, lead responsibilities in terms of where they involve in the, the practice management training, um, as a, the risk management team of the fund, has now actually concluded um, a uh, improvement to the to the risk management module of practice management training, to at least try provide to practitioners um, uh, a guideline in terms of how they should go about from a framework point of view, manage risk in their environments. It's very difficult to explain to a person um, in terms of how you want to deal with with risk management in your practice. Um, if you don't create them a framework or environment in which they can do that and yeah. understand the basic principles and concepts of risk management before you jump into the detail in terms of these are the, all the problems that you're going to incur and how you can potentially mitigate that. But you need to create structure to how you want to manage risks in those environments. And that becomes important then from a training point of view in terms of how we're improving um, the content of that, um, and it will continue to improve um, as 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 we um, remain involved with with the lead with lead specifically, and how we want to to make sure that practitioners are properly equipped in de- dealing with that. Yeah, and I think the public is always affronted or upset when they hear that attorneys have run off with with trust monies. It's it's horrible for the profession, horrible for me as an attorney. 
what I mean, is this incre- on the increase, or what's going on out there at the moment? We we do do see increases in respect of 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 the risks that we faced with, um, but there's a lot of underlying reasons to it as well. Um, if one say it, it's potentially a specific type of transaction that that is causing the risk. Um, Yes, we know that the, the biggest risk that we're faced with in terms of, of, of theft are related to uh, property transactions or conveyancing transactions. Mm. Um, but it's also as a result of the fact that the biggest portion of the money that lies in attorney's trust accounts does relate to property transactions. Yes. Um, so you almost got a more of an even distribution in terms of how you look at the makeup of your various types of trust monies and you also look at the 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 makeup of of the, the or the composition of the the, the type of transactions in, in respect of which uh, the theft occurred so it's more of not not being the problem of the of the transaction but it's more of the the practitioner or their staff that utilizes the opportunity that there are funds available in an attorney's trust account that is easily accept, ac- accessible, specifically if there's not a lot of uh, controls uh, in that environment, then creates the opportunity for that practitioner or that um, staff member to actually um, perpetrate the theft. Yes. Um, one can do a lot of things in terms of improving risk and controls around specific type of transactions, um, like conveyancing transactions. Um, but in that, it also requires a significant uh, amount of change in the mind of the practitioner in terms of how they should be conducting those transactions. Um, and, 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 and that's where a lot of the, the, the debates uh, are taking place at the moment as well in terms of how do we, how do we improve those environments? How do we take a lot of the risk out of, out of those transactions to, to install confidence back um, with the public in terms of utilizing legal services and making and, and be confident that their money is in fact properly protected. Yeah, and I know we've dealt with this one before, but I think that we need drum it in. People believe that any money left in an attorney's trust account is covered, and if it gets taken by an attorney wrongfully, the Fidelity Fund covers that. I think you need to clear that one up. It's very, very important, this one, because I speak to a lot of people and they, I say, do you know? And they say, we didn't know. Please clear it up. Sure, I, w- yeah. I would. I would clear that up, and it's very much also contained in in our legislation as well. Um, the the first point is that if we talk about any money in attorney's trust account being covered, that is not hundred percent correct. Mm. First of all, there must be a proper underlying legal transaction to have taken place. The money cannot just lie there for any purpose at all, um, other than for a proper legal transaction. Um, and even if those legal transactions has been concluded. Um, and it remains in the attorney's trust account. It also doesn't mean it's automatically protected because yeah. there is potentially a change in mandate in respect of the handling of those monies. Yeah. Give you some examples. Um, if you, for example, look at a property transaction, those monies that are entrusted to that attorney in terms of dealing with that property transaction, that will be properly covered. But as soon as that transaction comes to an end and the, uh, the client or the member of the public says, but Sorry, I don't know really what to do with the money immediately. Just keep it in your trust account until I want to to go and make and, and invest it for me. And invest it for me. Mm. That will not be covered by the fund because mm. there is no underlying legal transaction. Also, in terms of pure investments, if you go to your attorney and say just invest these monies on my behalf, it will not be covered by by the fund at all. Mm. Again, there's no underlying legal. So transaction. the moment the trans the conveyancing matter is completed. The transferring attorney is holding the money from that moment on. If you leave it with the attorney for him to invest it for you, put it in a bank, whatever, 
and he runs off with it. You are not covered. Lions, you, you, you know this one as well. I, yeah, but it's quite interesting and fascinating. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's quite scary in a way because the public doesn't know that. They don't know that all of a sudden it's a switch and uh, we're not covered from now on, but we were covered when it was a convincing matter and we're not covered now that it's a, an investment really. That, that's why I also stress that those money should be paid out as soon as possible after the conclusion of the transaction. Yeah. There's no reason for the attorney to hold on those, onto those monies yeah. um, because that would lead to a change in mandate, most yeah. definitely. Um, Once again, Jan, it's been a fascinating discussion with you as always. Is there anything, we have a minute or so, anything you want to add to the discussion or have we covered most of it? I think we've covered, we covered a lot of it. Um, I think from, from uh, a practitioner point of view, I would like to emphasize that it's important that, that practitioners do recognize the risks within their practices mm. um, and don't, don't see that as necessarily just a compliance issue, but understand that risk management can be a significant benefit to you as well. It gives you proper and overall oversight over what's happening in your practice and also how you need to deal with certain things and if you're prepared if certain events occur, how you should be handling and dealing with that as well. Um, so don't see it as just a compliance issue and a thing that you must do. There's specific benefits in terms of doing that because by doing that, you also instill a lot of confidence back to your customers uh, and your consume and the consumers out yeah, there. Yeah, I as think well. to all of our attorney friends out there, if you need any assistance, please phone the Attorneys Fidelity Fund. They're in Cape Town and uh, Joburg. Jan comes from the Centurion office. That is correct. Um, Jan, uh, it's been great, and uh, you'll you there to help uh, t- attorneys or where, where do can they speak to your? Uh, your your office I, f- I think if they if there are questions yeah. most definitely yeah. um in terms of of clarifying cer- certain positions mm. um and and uh, if there's any any guidance that are needed we we more than welcome to to engage with practitioners in terms of questions that I might have or clarity that they might uh, require um because it's in our interest to make sure that those practices are running um properly yeah. um and if the, if there are any gaps in in terms of how they're managing risks it could potentially end up with them but it's also got greater devastating consequences to to them as well um it could mean that that uh, their practices will not exist the next day if there are absolutely. serious breaches absolutely be very hmm. careful many thanks to you Jan de beer and uh, we'll talk to you again and to our listeners many thanks to you lines cheers for now good scenes thank you Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.